I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is a podcast from the Smart Material Collective, made by nerds, funded by the listeners. Is hair a material? Are biscuits a material? Are crystals a material? Is plastic a material? Is porridge a material? Can gases be a material? Are eggs a material? Is water a material? What do you call everything that isn't a material? <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh at you, guys. And yet you continue to do so. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to Real Talk, the podcast about all things materials and making. I'm your host, material scientist Anna Pajajski. In this episode, I spoke to artist Charlie Murphy about glass. I started by asking Charlie how she came to work with glass. So it's quite a funny story um, in some ways. So um, my background is in photography. I was originally studying documentary photography at Newport at um, quite a, a kind of intensive um documentary school where they give you a very strong grounding in the kind of basics of narrative storytelling through image images mm. like photographs it doesn't only have to be ph- photographs but um I realized quite quickly that I was much more of a fine artist and I wasn't really that interested in being a photojournalist but I was really kind of very um passionate about photography and um I went on to study a more fine art based photography approach um at Farnham in Surrey. And because I was a bit more of a mature student, um, I I had to stick my, um, I had to kind of dig my heels in and, and push for a better accommodation than halls of residence. And I ended up with this amazing accommodation in the wing of a manor house just outside of, um, of Farnham in the countryside. And my and it was a bit like a ship it was over 300 years old and all the all the floors were kind of wonky mm. and there was all sorts of cracks everywhere and I had this funny little room which was above a big fireplace and um, my neighbours downstairs were very very noisy lovemakers <laughs> and everything was broadcast up this chimney into my room um, but the, the the couple downstairs were also extremely good partiers and they had really good parties and we got to know each other and like each other and it turns out that they were glass makers and they were studying glass and because I was a photographer and also kind of doing video and so on they were like oh please can you come and photograph us at work because they wanted to do promotional stuff and Mm. and as soon as I walked into this what's known as the hot shop um at Farnham it's like this big 
room full of these roaring furnaces and something called a glory hole, which is a kind of heating chamber. And it's it's just like this primal fire center. And, and I was just completely smitten. Um, so I was photographing and filming them and making um, making work for them. But I also was completely obsessed with the idea of using glass for my own work as well, because it made me very uh, conscious, if you like, of the fact that everything to do with photography is about looking through glass in some way, if you're using lenses, that is. Um, and that became a starting point for a long-standing kind of fascination and study of glass through my work. Amazing. So what projects have you done with glass then from that starting point? So um, initially, I just wanted to explore and really feel my way into kind of what this amazing material was. And the, the, the glass artists that I was photographing and filming were working with a very high quality glass. So they were working with a really beautiful lead crystal, which um, they isn't used so much now because of its kind of toxic qualities mm. um, but the reason that lead is used in glass is, is to bring a brightness okay. and a clarity to the glass um, it's very expensive it's very heavy as you would mm. imagine um, but it also is a really it makes it really soft in a really interesting kind of way so it adds to its malleability it obviously adds to its sort of sparkle and they I mean they use it mostly for blown vessels so the skills involved in learning though that how to blow um to a really professional level take many many years i mean they can take you know a lifetime really to perfect um and that wasn't something that i was about to embark on but what i was drawn to was how we use glass to in a way try to capture and freeze things and preserve it's preserving qualities as something that um, have been used for many, many years. And um, it's interesting how, I mean, quite kind of common kind of fantasies and stories inform our relationship with those kind of materials. So I was thinking back about kind of what did I bring to my ideas of what glass was. And I was thinking about how um, the fairy tale, for example, of Snow White being encased in a coffin of glass mm was quite a powerful kind of idea um, as a child that I kind of carried with me. Um, and that whole idea of, of making a, something hermetically sealed within a kind of vacuum of glass that's obviously used in scientific equipment and so on was, was fascinating to me. And as somebody that was coming from a photography background, I was trying to think of ways that I could use those qualities of glass with those also those suspension qualities of photography. And what I started off doing was um, making um, images on the inside of bottles. So I used a, a light sensitive material called liquid emulsion, which is the same um, substance as what they use to coat paper for normal photographic paper it's light sensitive but you can paint it onto different surfaces and what I was doing with it was um, as a jelly that I could use I would then coat the inside of different vessels bottles bell jars um, and also glass plates and I would then expose images onto the inside of those bottles so they would became a little bit like a genie mm. with this image inside and I would try to kind of bring together different kind of aesthetic qualities or shapes to fit within those vessels and it was a way of sort of bringing together both both preserving and suspending 
properties, but also the or slightly kind of magnifying qualities of the glass. Um, and as I was doing that, it took me a long time to be able to perfect that as a as an approach because glass is so smooth. It's really hard to get things to stick to it. So I had to find different ways of creating something called a key um, for, that would enable me to get this jelly to stick to it and stay on there because mm. um, you also have problems with them. Um, condensation as well oh, right. um, which can also kind of um, degrade the, the silver gelatin so um, so that was kind of my starting point and it was it was it was quite a nice kind of confluence of two two materials two mediums um, especially because photography is also about trying to hold on to a moment and suspend time and capture and encase it um, and what I was looking at for that for that piece of work, which was called Possession, um, was was looking at family albums, looking at vernacular photography and looking at the kinds of images that we wanted to preserve, that we wanted to hold on to, these kind of very key moments in life that 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 we preserve in our family albums in various ways. So I was appropriating images from other people's albums as well as my own and then encasing them in glass and making in a way like a shrine. Mm. So I was I was kind of drawing on that um, also kind of quite magical quality. Um, and a, and a, the, I was looking at things like Memento Mori. What's that? Um, and Memento Mori is a kind of artefact which is about a veneration of the dead. It's, it's a... Um, it's a preside. It's it's like a shrine, which yeah holds that mm. um, image. Um, and it's got quite Catholic associations, and and so one of the things that I made alongside the bottle vessels was um, a series of cast frames, which I I made. Um, this it's a really delicious process. So you use molten glass so glass from the furnace and in this case it was lead crystal so it was really beautiful quality glass and you have a a great big long ladle that you scoop this glass out of the furnace and you pour it into a sand cast mold so it's a bit like making sand castles Mm. you have a mixture of sand um very special kind of sand for for casting i'm afraid i can't remember what it's called but um you basically i I had these ready-made frames that i would push into the sand just like a sand castle and then you would pour this molten glass into the cavity and it sets and you i mean it's an incredible sensation because this is a you know, a thousand degrees or something mm. ridiculously hot <laughs> to be that liquid. Yeah. And you pour and it's like treacle. Very, very beautiful. It starts off kind of white hot and then it goes a kind of lovely yellowing colour, but quite metallic looking. Mm. And you have these shears and you have to cut through it to kind of, because otherwise it's very stringy, just like something like honey right. or something like that. And um, so it's an amazing sensation to cut through this kind of hot glass. Mm. Um, and then it has to be cooled to a point where it's stiffened and it can hold its shape. And then you dig it out and you have to put it into something called a leer, which is basically an annealing oven. So it, what it does is it, it, it basically heats the, all the glass to the same temperature and then it cools very, very slowly. Mm. So the annealing process is so that it can it can try to even out the temperature differences between the inside and the outside. And that will help to take out the stress in glass because if if the outside cools too quickly um, and the and the inside is still very very hot 
that creates an internal stress which can cause lots of cracks. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting principle, actually. Yeah, that's um, taken to an extreme in the Prince Rupert's drop. Absolutely, the Lame Batavik. Yes. Yeah, yeah, which I often confuse in my head with the Prince Albert's drop, which is definitely something else. <laughs> yes, but, indeed, although I have looked at both of those things, funnily enough. Interesting. There's a lot of um, interesting sexualization of the kind of, yeah, the processes of fire and... So actually, the Prince Albert drop is also the name of um, the um, a particular kind of cut glass, oh, right? Which um, they use in in different kinds of chandeliers. No so, way! Funnily enough, yeah. So a p- completely different um, on, on another tangent, but um, yeah, there was another piece of work that I made for, about um, chandeliers and about. Um, how light refracts through cut glass. Um, so what I was interested in was um, looking at how I could record um, the passage of light through the interior of the glass and out mm. into through the way that it refracts. And um, I managed to find this amazing chandelier emporium in Kensington. Oh, wow. Um I, I never thought they'd even let me in the door, to be honest. It was like this beautiful cavern of glass, like wow. Narnia. It was like tinkling away. And these enormous kind of beautiful structures dripping with, with all this cut glass. And um, and I went in with my little portfolio and sort of said, you know, I'm really interested in glass and I really want to try and record what happens to light as it goes through these beautiful objects. Mm. And I want to just record this on photographic paper. So I won't be using a camera. I just want to shine light through it and make something called a photogram with with what happens. And and they're like, yeah, sure. Which ones do you want? Amazing. And it turned out that they owned this whole news at the back of Kensington High Street, mm. or Kensington Church Street. So it's at the top end of Kensington. And they, um, I just, I selected different chandeliers from from this whole kind of huge showroom they've been going for over 100 years family, yeah. and they they carried them through to this muse area and I turned the downstairs of this kind of garage space into a dark room and set up my lights and basically blacked it out and then was shining light through and they just ended up giving me a key and just think well, just come and go because wow. it you know it takes me time to kind of put that together of course um, Amazing, but that's when I found out about some of the particular. It's like a kind of sword shape, okay. And I can send you a link, uh, but it's like a sword shape um, kind of pendant, mm. and they have many, many of them, and they're called the uh, Sir Rupert drops, or so. Yeah, I think so. Albert drops <laughs> one of those two, but it's definitely related. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, so, if that's a bit of a tangent. No, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. So going back to. Um, to this idea of this kind of internal stress. Yeah. Um, we can use that to our benefit in toughened glass. Absolutely. Which is super interesting. So the outside of a toughened pane of glass is put into compression. So if a crack or a dent or a scratch gets put into the surface, the compression of the glass will just squish that together and sort of stop it from yeah. that crack from propagating through. But you have to balance those forces out so the inside of the material is under tension. Yeah. So it's kind of funny to think you've lots of people have seen like terrifying glass bridges or viewing platforms that go out 
above, like on top, tall skyscrapers yes. or on cliffs and stuff. And that's glass. And it's crazy to think that that material is under massive tension and compression. But we think of it as being solid and reliable and definitely not going to break because otherwise we'll fall to our deaths. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's a it's a thing about materials that really freaks me out is that they, they're kind of active and they're, they're in a state that isn't restful, if that yeah. makes sense. But we rely on them for safety. Yeah, it's and kind of for funny. that, and we rely on that kind of cohesion or that kind of yeah tension totally. yeah. somehow to for the strength. Yeah, but it's also about, but it's also it's fragility to a certain extent mm. to do with that. Um, I was trying to think that there's some really lovely descriptions of how they found that out because the Rupert drop that you mentioned. Um, I think um, it was actually Charles Darwin's cousin oh, right. that that was working with those principles, mm. and they were at one point considering how they might use that incredible, um, the incredible power of that internal stress mm. as some form of ballistics. Oh wow! Because the, with with Sir Rupert drops, when you drop this molten glass into the water. As a, as a droplet, you've got this kind of bulbous end and then this little tail. Mm. And it's the surface tension that holds that power in. And when you when you twist the tail, mm. it explodes. Amazing. And they were thinking, well, we, we could use this for weapons. Of course. You know. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't terribly practical in the end. But it's no, an No, because amazing... if it went off in your pocket, yeah, <laughs> lose a leg. Yeah, <laughs> lacerated. Um, yeah. But... Um, but it, it's yeah, it's incredible how they're still using that as a basic principle to, yeah. to toughen and yeah yeah. So this might be a good point then to talk about kind of what is glass. What 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 does the material of glass kind of mean to you as it's, as a substance? Um, so it's I mean it, it's such a kind of extraordinary um, medium and I mean it's been described as a as a super cool liquid. Um, I don't know if it technically that is correct or not. It's um, mm. we can talk about that. We can right? talk about that. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, for me, it's it's it is absolutely the medium of vision. Mm. It's so much about vision and perception and embodiment. Um, it's it's I'm so fascinated by the fact that we take it totally for granted that we look through it and we don't even question somehow. Mm. its veracity or we don't question the fact that it might there might somehow be some distortions to what we're kind of looking through and it's this incredible it it, it's like this window sorry it's such an obvious metaphor (laughs) but it is it has enabled us to visualize things that we would never be able to see with the naked eye and in from such different extremes so the fact that it was made into lenses that could allow us to see inside the body to see things right the way down to you know atomic levels Mm -hmm. as well as to you know the ends of the galaxies and so on this is quite astonishing in in many ways and but as as an artist and as a as a sculptor it's it's got this incredible tension between the optical and the tactile and it's got this extraordinary sensuality to it which i think as a medium it's like we have this very very interesting relationship um with our body there's an equivalence and um there's something about the properties that it has for vision 
and perception as well as how almost without questioning we have ascribed um, also kind of quite psychological kind of qualities to it so we've used some of the properties of optics to describe what happens say in the mind and metaphors for the mind and so on and and I think some of those kind of connections are really interesting and Mm. um, so there yeah that tension between the optical and the tactile is what has brought you know is what it's about for me. Hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Yeah. Yeah, going back to the super cool liquid thing. Um, I find that definition somewhat confusing. Um well, in so much as not many people know what a supercooled liquid even would be, so that's unhelpful in itself. Yeah. But, like, for me, a supercooled liquid is a liquid that has been cooled below its freezing temperature, but it remains a liquid. So you can have supercooled helium, which is below its freezing temperature, um, but it remains a liquid. Um, and you have to do it very carefully, and there's all sorts of ways to stop it from freezing. But glass, as we know it, is a solid material. Like, it doesn't... A glass window doesn't flow around. There's, I mean, having said that, there is that urban myth that old churches prove that glass is a liquid because over time it's supposedly, you know, flowed downwards. But I think that's a a misconception because I think that that's more that they didn't have ways of, they didn't have processes in the medieval times to make flat planes of glass. So they had one end of the glass would be slightly thicker than the other because of the way that they had to process it. And so it would naturally make sense to put the thicker end at the bottom so that it's not top heavy and doesn't fall over. <laughs> so yeah. it's a funny it's a funny way to look at old glass and it just yeah, I just think that the super cool liquid thing is more to do with its atomic structure and the fact that it has a, a liquid like atomic structure in so much as the atoms don't exist in a crystalline form like they would in most metals. So they're sort of in an amorphous mess. And there is some sort of 
the sort of short distance order in so much as you can predict which atoms are going to be next to each other, but you can't predict at a greater distance to that which atom is going to come next. So it's kind of disordered in its atomic structure, like a liquid would be. Yeah. But but it isn't. If you walk into a glass door, it's very solid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, Unless you know, it's really, really hot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that probably adds to kind of the mystery of glass and the illusions yeah. and the optical tricks that it can play is, is that it's this kind of weird, solidy, liquidy, weird material. Yeah, <laughs> it is absolutely magical. And it and it has many associations with alchemy mm. and um, and it, and it's historically been quite revered in in various yeah. different cultures. They, you know, it was very much prized. It took a huge amount of energy and effort yeah. to make, especially to make transparent glass. Right. Um, and it was, I mean, certainly looking at some of the kind of early um, perceptions of glass. There, it it was a, a really radical material and it, it really disturbed people when they were finally able to achieve um, the kind of levels of clarity that they wanted because mm. that was very much prized. It was about the idea of purity was very much bound up with transparency um, and the way that it was used in, in windows to kind of bring light inside and, mm. and so on. Um, were, it got kind of bound up with all sorts of kind of religious kind of imagery as well. Um, and the way they could add precious metals to to the glass to create these different colours. And it was very much about this sublime space of glass mm. and, and how it allowed or was informed by light. Um, so it's got all sorts of really interesting spiritual connections as well. Yeah, and I suppose like stained glass windows as you know, as the light goes through a stained glass window, the light then hits us on the ground and it kind of is a medium of, like, transporting those ideas from the heavens to, like, yeah. the people on earth. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was very much... It was a precious material that was kind of mm. about embodiment and the sacred. Yeah. Um, which is interesting how, you know, a lot of those kind of meanings have been lost, but some of them sort of still kind of... Come back round. But you're, you've also done a project about sort of embodiment and like the, the physicality, the bodily physicality of glass as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I got very frustrated with photography because it, it didn't move and it was flat. Um, and um, But at the same time, it, it has this inc- incredible magical property as well. Um, but I was really interested in what... Um, what in in a way kind of visualizing what was hidden and um i wanted to think or i was looking at kind of different um aspects of of physical experience and intimacy and mm. um i was thinking about what what does a kiss look like for example um there were two things i was looking at what what when we kiss, what are we doing? What are we What are we saying? If we stop talking, but and we start kissing, we're, we're still communicating, but we're not. Um, we're not using words, and we're in a way we're developing our own kind of intimate language through the mouth. Um, and I was really fascinated by that. I was reading an incredible essay by Adam Phillips called "On Kissing," and it was talking exactly about that um, that whole process through from the perspective of psychoanalysis. And, and I was thinking, well, um, how how can I explore 
that phenomenon and that experience of intimacy um, in a way that can visualise it. I really want to see what this looks like. What what can I use? Um, so one of the things about um, photography that I'm particularly intrigued by is <clears throat> is um, the importance, certainly for me, of an indexical relationship. So the way that I can use a photographic um, sensitivity, so either celluloid or a chip or something, but I can record the reflection or the kind of impression of light onto onto the film and that's my way of capturing and that's my that's kind of um solidifies and embodies the relationship between the object and its representation um but i wanted to take that a little bit further because i i don't see the world in flat things that are still and i and i and as a as a sculptor i i want to somehow explore that kind of physicality and the embodiment of a moment in three dimensions so I did that through um, using a dental alginate to make the a cast of the inside of a kiss um, and that involves mixing up this kind of gloopy menthol flavored material <laughs> which is very funny and a little bit off-putting for some people um, <laughs> but it was it's an incredible material for making casts it's very very detailed it's what they use for making impressions of your teeth and the roof of your mouth and so on um, so that they can make replacements um, but many sculptors use this as a as a medium and basically I would mix this material up and put it in people's mouths and then they would have to hold still um, for they find a position that they're comfortable with and then they have to hold still for about 90 seconds because that's how long it takes for this material to to set all the way through and it it basically means that they have to freeze their kiss Mm. um, in in motion which isn't the sexiest thing in the world but it is an interesting kind of process um, to to actually freeze and to kind of contemplate that moment. Mm. Um, and as that material solidifies in your mouth, um, obviously you can't speak either. No. Um, but it's a really interesting exchange. Um, something that I videoed the whole process and I created an event where I was collecting lots of people's kisses so that I could study what this form looked like. But as you, as this kiss sets we have to then get that out of your mouth, which is also quite an interesting, um, almost like a kind of delivery of a child or this creation of between two people. You have to basically unlock your jaws and then push it out with your tongue because it's it's gone into all around your right. mouth and your tongues. Um, so it's quite funny. Um, <laughs> that sounds pretty funny. It's quite technical. Um, but what's fascinating is that, you know, through this whole quite stylized process that I created as a performance, um, we as, as a team and the people that take part um, really kind of explore what it means to make this sculptural form together and actually that duration of time that it takes and the technical kind of aspects of it um they 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 really commit people to examining this on a, on quite a, a close level mm. and what was really quite 
extraordinary and fascinating for me was how much people invested emotionally in these casts and we would look at what they had produced together Mm. um, and look at the differences between these different spaces and um, it was really touching how how that transformation from not really knowing what what was going to be involved to going all the way through making this cast and then looking at this this cast together and how their mouths fit together what what their tongues were doing all sorts of dental history would would emerge <laughs> and traumas and incredible stories would emerge from that process and then i would make um molds from those from those kind of casts um so that i could basically make the the shape of that kiss inside a block of glass so in a way it goes back to sort of snow white in her coffin to a certain extent which is slightly macabre but it's it was a, about using the the magnifying qualities of glass to really examine these very intricate spaces of intimacy because they're very they're quite small mm-hmm. um they're sort of it's unexpected that kind of um how grotesque it can look as well it's it, it's it, what happens is you 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 don't really think about that necessarily um but you are, are confronted with this very kind of um twisted um combination of of tongues and beautiful um soft insides of the lips where they where they're touching um the way that the tongues intertwine the teeth all these kind of elements that you just obviously tend not to dwell on when you're kissing somebody (laughs) but they form part of the language of desire and Mm. intimacy and I was really fascinated by that and it was a really amazing journey to be able to share that inquiry with so many people on this touring event and to over time then develop a, a whole a whole range of the of those casts and be able to show them alongside each other and show how varied those expressions of desire were mm. um and it was also very bound up for me in representations of female sexuality um so actually even before i started to explore the kiss i was also really really interested in making a very um, strong representation of female sexual space, which was outside of the context of medical and and reproduction mm. um, kind of terminology and so on. I, what I found was that was really interesting was that there were no words to describe in in general language. Um, there was nothing to describe this space in internal space, which is the site of so much kind of longing and sexual identity and um and sexual experience and yet all i'd ever seen was this slice through the body <laughs> of that space and it was only ever described in terms of reproduction and i was quite troubled by that because i thought well hang on a minute you know surely mm. there should be a much wider understanding and 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 a naming of of what this is and um as a young woman at at that time, um, you know, it was really important to me to have 
to claim that space as well. So I also used this dental alginate um, against everybody's um, advice to make an a, an internal cast um, because I wanted to make visible something that was invisible, mm. but in its in its wholeness. I didn't want it sliced. I wanted to see what does this look like and what does it mean? And I was fascinated by the fact that people had no words for it and that they didn't recognise it. And obviously everybody's body's different and and women's bodies change continuously throughout their cycle and so on. And it was a really important sort of quite a difficult process, but it was also about using glass through the mould-making process um, to try and realise that space as as a sculptural object, both as a positive and as a negative, because quite often the the female is described as the other mm. or as what is hidden and all this kind of mysterious bollocks that comes on. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's it's yeah. been deli- almost kind of deliberately kind of veiled and kind of... Um, so I made these, these sculptures that were very much about embodying those very important spaces of female sexuality and um gender and and um and they were made as positive and as a negative within a sphere and i also made um a piece which looked at this mythical idea of the hymen mm. and used the the idea of glass as this very very fine membrane um and how important and prized that is in certain cultures. And and I made that as a sort of little tiny peephole kind of um, installation, which was something that I made for the welcome. Um, so it's, it's kind of about using this kind of very resonant qualities of the material sort of sculpturally and kind of culturally to sort of ask questions, I suppose, about our relationship with it. Amazing. So have you, what projects are you working on at the moment? Um, so I'm at the moment um, developing a whole body of work um, using glass and using light to try to respond to this extraordinary um, molecular research into different kinds of dementias. Um, so I've been learning about kind of molecular biology. Um, and the reason I've been doing that, I was part of a residency at the Welcome that was trying to understand um, different impacts of dementias and um, try to kind of improve public understanding about how that impacts on people's lives and, and what's being done in terms of research to try and understand what's happening at the earliest stages of the disease process. And I've been teamed up with this amazing scientist at UCL called Dr Selena Ray. And what she does is she uses a stem cell technology to um, transform skin cells into brain cells. And then she can study how those brain cells grow and develop over time. As I've been recording this process, I've also been trying to respond to that experience through glass through through my medium as a sculptor um, I've been remaking some of the molecular images that I'm looking at I'm I'm exploring color um, in glass for the first time in a way that I've not before so I've been using very um, colors that in a way respond to the dyes that they use to identify different cells I've been trying to create cell forms 
through glass, using different colours. I've been using uranium glass, oh, for wow. example, to um, because they use fl- fluorescent dyes as well to identify different parts. Yeah. And, and so I'm using different kinds of light and um, and glass kind of additions to sort of animate some of those principles. Um, and it, I mean, it's been fascinating to kind of think even further about the idea of glass as this kind of membrane Mm. and about this kind of really strange equivalence that we have with the body. Wonderful. Well, where can people find you online to see some examples of your previous work? So um, I've got some lots of different examples that I can send you and um, we I have a website which is charliemurphy.co.uk and the current project with um, UCL's Selena Ray um, is called Brains in a Dish and the website is brainsinadish.org so you can see the work that we've got going on in progress and then it will be updated as as it kind of unfolds so yeah there'll be there'll be material coming up very soon I hope. Amazing. Well, thanks for coming on Real Talk. Thanks very much for having me. So that was Charlie Murphy. Thanks a lot to her for coming on the show. Don't forget, you can always say hi to us on Twitter. We're at Real Talk, R-I-A-L Talk. And hello, this is Anna from the future. I'm on Twitter too now. You can follow me at Anna Future if you want to know everything that's going on over here in the future, but we're just frankly too afraid to ask. I don't blame you, to be honest. And we'll be back with another episode in two weeks' time. So thanks for listening and see you next time on Real Talk. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.